welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is a win Wednesday, and it's actually Tuesday because we're coming at you from the past. It's Tuesday voting day, and it went Wednesday. It's just all of amazingness smashed up into one day that is not following any rules of the space-time continuum. And with me, as always, is co-host Mr. Jared Brown. Jared, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. A day earlier than normal, but excited to get at it earlier than normal thanks to the Thursday night game and, and a little bit of an extended break for the 49ers, too, at a good time. That's exactly right. So before we get into the the final battle of the Bay and the game recap, I'm super interested to hear about how you're going to vote on, I think, Prop 7, because that's the Daylight Savings Time one, right? I believe that is, and I, you know, I've thought about it a little bit because Arizona is one of the places that, that doesn't do it. There's some drawbacks in in both cases, particularly as a teacher. It's kind of nice right now when I go to school in the mornings that it's light out. Whereas just two weeks ago, I was getting to school rolling around, you know, six thirty or so, kind of kind of prepping and doing early bird stuff, and it's dark out. It just sort of sets a sort of ominous tone. Uh, so. I actually kind of dig setting, falling back a little bit so that I get the uh, the little bit of daylight in the morning. Uh, but I, I also understand wanting to keep it lighter a little later. Get out of here with this politician answer, this non-answer answer. You can't say both are okay. I, I'm, I'm pinning you down. <laughs> in honor of voting day, highly diplomatic. I think I, I'd vote to keep it. Oh, man. You got to get rid of it. Get rid of it. I'm, I'm, I, I'm voting from afar with spirit only for California stuff because I'm over here voting in, in Texas elections. But uh, it, it was indeed the Battle of the Bay. Uh, I have got a Terpene Dream APA in American Pale Ale ready to go because that game was indeed uh, a dream. I mean, we said at the beginning or, or in our preview, we said the best quarterback is going to win. We just had no idea that best quarterback was going to be Nick Mullins. Yeah, I did not see that. I mean, I don't know that anybody saw it coming, maybe perhaps except Kyle Shanahan or assumed that he could make it happen nonetheless. But Nick Mullins played, you know, not not lights out, but better than what the Raiders could get their quarterback to play, Uh, whether that's coaching, whether that's scheme, whether that's other players around him. Either way, Nick Mullins was the best quarterback on the field. And as a result, like we thought, the 49ers came out on top. Pretty impressive. Well, the 49ers do indeed win the final battle of the Bay. The 49ers won maybe their most complete game of the Kyle Shanahan era, their highest offensive output of 2018. Uh, their 34 points tied for their third highest offensive output overall in the Kyle Shanahan era. Of course, the Jaguars, 44 points, was tops. Rams with good old Brian Hoyer, 39 points. And then the Rams again in that meaningless Week 17 game, 34 points. The 49ers defense had eight sacks. They are now tied, Jared, get this, they're now tied for 7th in the NFL with 24 sacks on the back of that 8-sack performance, and they had 2 turnovers uh, in the game. That, that plus 2 turnover margin, incidentally, tied for the 2nd highest uh, total and the highest turnover margin in the Shanahan era. Uh, actually, that's surprising just because I guess they don't generate a ton of turnovers. But overall, in terms of a complete game, this was as big and as complete of a game as the 49ers have ever put together in the Kyle Shanahan era. And it took a pretty hapless Oakland Raiders team in order to do it. Typically, the 49ers, at least recently, have appeared to be this team, like the team on the other end of these sort of games. I mean, this year it's been 
uh, better and their losses are tight. And even the losses last year uh, were tight as well. But sort of you, you've kind of been prepping or, you know, the, that's the proverbial you prepping for the 49ers being the team that sort of looks like they don't have the answers, whether it's because of the lack of depth or whatever it may be. That turnover di- differential is absolutely huge because sort of at, at first glance, you think two turnovers, not a big deal, but they didn't give the ball away really. And even the fumble, uh, that they ended up recovering was not a big deal. So that I, the idea that they are sort of in the plus column, any way you slice this game, as we saw, turned out to be some, I mean, I don't know that anybody predicted this kind of score, this sort of apparent dominance from the 49ers. And that was in all phases. Obviously the offense is really exciting with Nick Mullins playing well for a week or at least doing well enough for a week. But defensively, this was one of their best games. And whether it's the Raiders or not, this is NFL talent that the 49ers went out and absolutely dominated in every aspect to have eight sacks and, and really a third of their sacks this season coming against the Oakland Raiders, whether it's that padding or not, the really impressive overall performance from the pass rush, and, and we've obviously been on them a lot with Cassius Mars being sort of the guy, but I even got to give him some credit. He, you know, he beat the guys that, that the Oakland Raiders elected to line up across the line of scrimmage from him. So as you mentioned, overall, just any way you slice this, an absolute, complete, dominating effort by the 49ers, and it is kind of exciting. We said, not a big deal, final battle of the Bay, but... In national prime time, kind of nice to know that the 49ers show up, whereas the Raiders obviously didn't. So one question for you about Nick Mullins. Uh, if you had to start a franchise right now, would you choose to start with either Nick Mullins or Derek Carr? Go. Ooh, Nick Mullins or Derek Carr? I got to go with Derek Carr. Obviously, the Nick Mullins story is very fun, and it's early on, and perhaps he suddenly uh, you know, blows up a la his... Uh, colleague or peer from his alma mater Brett Favre but this is one game as you mentioned against a bad Raiders defense uh, I think Derek Carr guy liner or not is working with a limited coaching staff because I'm really just not impressed with John Gruden and what he's doing there and again defensively the Raiders were absolutely atrocious so it's not by any means all on Derek Carr uh, so I think I'd still take Derek Carr <laughs> Well, I, I think you're right to, to choose Derek Carr. And, and ultimately, I think while, yes, we joked a bit like the best quarterback on, on Thursday was indeed Nick Mullins. He played a good game, but he he did exactly what the offense asked him to do. And that was just enough to beat up on the Oakland Raiders. I don't know that we are at the point where we're going to anoint Nick Mullins. It was a fun game, but that's all it was. I think it's important context to note that he's a third string quarterback. And I think that that's important to know only because that makes his performance just a bit more impressive. He had he wasn't invited to the combine. He didn't have a pre-draft visit other than with the 49ers. And and overall, I think you put it in that context and it's like, okay, actually executing the offense may have been too much for a third-string quarterback, and it's probably a lot for many third-string quarterbacks in the league. But he did it against a defense that is not good and a defense that where he was able to find wide-open wide receivers. Nick Mullins effectively faced no pressure all night on Thursday. He was only pressured on three snaps. Three snaps. Not a lot. He did not have very many tight window throws. He only had three. He threw one to Kittle, which was a ridiculous catch by Kittle. That was absurd. Uh, But he missed on a back shoulder throw to Garcon, and and then he had an, an end zone throw that was nearly picked off and probably should have picked off. But overall, what Nick Mullins did was he played 
average or at the expected level for an NFL quarterback and against a really, really crappy defense and with a coordinator and someone creating offense at the degree and skill level to which Shanahan creates the offense, this is what you get. And and that doesn't mean that Nick Mullins is phenomenal. It's a fun story. It's a great story. But this is base level offense if Shanahan has a quarterback that can execute. I would agree. I would also add that I think this highlights more so some of C.J. Beathard's shortcomings, and not that C.J. Beathard is not a backup quarterback in the league. I think he's shown that he's good enough to do that. What Nick Mullins did do well, I thought, was, and I think some of this has to do with the fact that he, like you mentioned, that context that he's a third-string quarterback, he recognizes he's a third-string quarterback, right? These guys, they have to go out and sort of make these wow plays if he wants to keep his job, because sort of sticking around on the practice squad and just being effective and efficient there is never going to give him the opportunity to ascend and to either make the 53-man roster long-term or to eventually, you know, maybe not with the 49ers, but to earn a starting position somewhere. What I thought he did well was he took some risks that uh, a long-term sort of franchise quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, might not even take the same risks because they sort of have to, right? What's the worst that happens with with Nick Mullins? If he doesn't play well in the game against the Raiders, then everybody goes, oh, he's third-string quarterback. Kyle Shanahan's working with his you know backup's backup. How, what could they possibly do? Nick Mullins doesn't have any career starts. He wasn't even drafted. You know, all these reasons for him not to be successful. Whereas when he succeeds, it's, you know, now there's this national storyline. So there's really not a whole lot of lost potential there for Nick Mullins to really rip the ball and, and let it go, particularly the throw to George Kittle, which was a remarkable play more so from Kittle's perspective, because I think maybe 10 receivers, whether it's tight end or receivers, I think 10 receivers maybe in the league are willing to actually run over the middle like that in that traffic and space and still even put a hand out to potentially make a catch with, you know, what seemed to be sort of imminent contact. But the fact that Nick Mullins threw that ball is is pretty wild. I don't know that there's many you know legit starting quarterbacks in the league that are going to routinely try to make that throw, and instead they might you know look look to sort of make the safe checkdown throw. Nick Mullins with nothing to lose, probably not a great decision off you know sort of falling backwards, but let it rip nonetheless. I think as you mentioned. This was more about what Kyle Shanahan can do with even average quarterback play and average offensive talent aside from George Kittle and his ability to, when they recognize or when they play a bad team, to just maximize everything and full throttle people. You know, I don't even know that I would necessarily say that it's that you could compare this one game from from Mullins and Beathard entirely, because I think that what makes CJ Beathard basically recoil and become, you know, kind of third round crap rookie CJ Beathard is pressure and we saw what CJ Beathard could do at C at peak CJ Beathard and that was the first half against the Green Bay game of course he paired that with a terrible half in the second half against Green Bay so I think that CJ Beathard has had a little bit higher highs so far this season than Nick Mullins but if Nick Mullins can just continue to execute the offense like this and play consistently then I think that you you abandon the peaks and valleys of CJ Beathard and you go with someone who's a bit more consistent because I think that's, that Nick Mullins did some really nice things. He looked off the safety uh, down the goal line on the touchdown pass to Kendrick Bourne, which is something that, again, we talk about that like it's just some this amazing thing, but this should be the expectation for, for yeah. above-average quarterbacks, right? It shouldn't be some kind of marvel to look off the safety, and yet that's where we're at between C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. I think when you look at the big-time throw that Nick Mullins had, and this is a pro football focus-rated big-time throw, it was a dig to Garcon on a dagger concept. 
And, and a dagger concept is really a two, sometimes three person concept where you have the, uh, if you're counting receivers outside in, right, you've got your number one on the outside, number two on the slot. And the outside receiver runs a, runs a dig route. The inside receiver runs a clear out or a deep route. And basically what that does is against cover two, which is what the Raiders are playing, uh, you had Richie James run that deep route, occupy both deep safeties. And then you had Garcon run that dig and it had just a bunch of space vacated. But Leon Hall, which Niner fans should remember him from last year, I still can't believe that guy's employed. But he, he's in a hook zone and he gets pretty decent depth. He's really, really deep. And Mullins has to drop the ball over Leon Hall, who jumps to try and swat it, but ahead of the two safeties and drop it right into Pierre Garcon's hands, which he does. It was one of his best throws of the night. And, and that's what I think I mean by it's, it's someone who is executing what the offense is giving him. And he did that fairly well. And so I think when you look at those two things, I think overall, I'm not ready to say like, you know, it's just this world beater performance, but he did what he needed to do to keep the team on schedule. And based on what the 49ers do on offense, that's enough to beat bad teams. And the Niners, we would hope at this point in their development should be good enough to beat really, really bad teams. You raise a really good point with the this idea of the peaks and valleys that you're getting with C.J. Beathard. I, I think you're right that C.J. Beathard's best, what we've seen from him when he's at his best, is a pretty impressive player. Maybe not a long-term starter, but definitely has the tools to play in the NFL. However, his worst is pretty bad. And, you know, the five turnover performance against the Cardinals for the entire team is what what lost that game. And C.J. Beathard, you know, to obviously directly impact that turnover differential. And if Nick Mullins, as you mentioned, can just sort of be consistent and maybe every once in a while make these big time throws, one, two, maybe three a game, Kyle Shanahan's going to do the rest and it's going to get guys open with average at best talent. And Nick Mullins may be the consistency there because I don't know that, not I don't know, the 49ers don't see Nick Mullins yet as a long-term option at quarterback. And I doubt they ever will, but maybe this guy really is the deal. However, there is something to be said for sort of consistency and, and knowing what you're going to get every week and being able to operate in within that knowledge and do everything else right to put the, the team in a position to succeed. Right now, Nick Mullins is probably the guy that does that, I think, and in that case should get the starting nod. But I don't know that you know, you're looking at this guy even as a immediate backup long term. There's still a lot to be seen. There's some stuff that he does well. There's some stuff that needs to get cleaned up. And perhaps what might be best is to just have Kyle Shanahan keep doing his thing. Yeah, I think the one area where Nick Mullins really impressed me was his performance against the Blitz. And, and this speaks, I think, to something that fans have identified, and, and I think a little rightfully so, which is the, the speed of processing or the mental processing that Nick Mullins displayed in this game that we haven't always seen from C.J. Beathard. It, I think it's a little difficult to to kind of unpack and discern really what it means for a quarterback to have really, really quick mental processing, because I think that lots of times this gets thrown in and lumped in with you know, kind of like you're a dumb quarterback, you're a smart quarterback, you, you know, and, and I think sometimes, honestly, this has racial overtones, you're a black quarterback, you're a white quarterback. But I think that that mental processing for a quarterback is something that you can measure. And that is something that is there. And when you look at the performance against the blitz specifically, Nick Mullins performed really, really well, didn't get blitzed a lot. He was blitzed six times. But on those six blitzes, he completed four passes of those six for 85 yards, which was 14.2 yards per attempt, and one touchdown. Based on PFF grade, that was his highest graded split, 
which I think is is important to note because that's the one thing that C.J. Beathard did, which was hold on to the ball too long. And honestly, even Jimmy Garoppolo, who had a remarkably quick processing speed and release time in the last five games of last season, didn't really display that, I think, as much as we would have liked at the beginning of 2018. So I think if Nick Mullins can continue to process the game as quickly as he did against the Raiders, I think that bodes well for continuing to manage the game, not make too many mistakes because he did have some turnover-worthy throws. But I think overall, that's the kind of consistency that you would want. And if Nick Mullins is able to do this for the rest of the year, I think it's pretty clear that he becomes the backup to Jimmy Garoppolo. And with the amount of tape that he would have, you could flip him in a couple of years for a draft pick. I think that's always been sort of the plan, too, in in regards to C.J. Beathard is, you know, let's develop these guys. Once they sign Jimmy Garoppolo long term, that's obviously the sort of the go to guy. Figure out who's going to be the long term starter and and in any or excuse me, the long term backup in any case, you know, all of these guys get to the NFL by being ultra competitive. They want to be starters. If you can, if Kyle Shanahan can get enough on tape for Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard, whoever it is to flip them, even for a sort of, uh, you know, sort of to compensate what they spent at least on C.J. Beathard in, in the first in the first place, even, you know, even better. But to identify a potential long term backup that could win games when called upon. And we, we had this discussion a couple of weeks ago, I think, in regards to C.J. Beathard and, you know, the very few backup quarterbacks in the league are able to just kind of get inserted into the offense and suddenly, you know, play like the starter never left. I mean, there's a reason that there's only 32 starters in the NFL. And sometimes I'd, I'd venture to say that we don't even have that many right now. But to have a a reliable backup that may never actually be a legit starter, but sort of adds some consistency and trust there gives the 49ers some leverage and comfort knowing that, especially right now, if they're really trying to maximize or what appears to be, you know, when, when John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan signed with, uh, with the organization seemed like, all right, we're going to really make a push at this thing. A backup quarterback helps as we saw, you know, last year with the Philadelphia Eagles and having somebody that can get in there and at least run the offense at a solid level, uh, uh, is is sometimes enough for for a good offensive coach to make successful. But it wasn't just the quarterback who had success against Oakland. There were also other parts of the team that had success against a, a hapless Raiders. Man, they they are they are fully embracing the the full tank. Uh, but one of the areas, of course, that had some success was the 49ers receivers. They took advantage of a bad opponent and had one of their better games of the year. They really did, and as much as the storyline is about Nick Mullins, I think what the 49ers receiving core did specifically uh, to get open and then maximize yards after the catch was really, really impressive on a short week where you know guys' bodies just don't feel right. Overall, they had an 83.2 team receiving grade from PFF, which is very high. That's over nine points higher than their second the second best game that they've played this year, which was against the Chargers, ironically, another, or the Chargers, a solid solid defense, good team playing well, but the 49ers receivers did play fairly well against them earlier in the year. The yards after catch, though, and this is sort of ties into our discussion with Nick Mullins in regards to Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins threw for a total of 262 passing yards, but specifically between Pierre Garçon, Richie James, and George Kittle, 162 of their receiving yards came after yards or were yards after the catch, meaning that Pierre Garcon, Richie James, and George Kittle are catching the ball and then continuing to run. And in some cases, that's Nick Mullins putting the ball in a good spot. 
But in a couple of these cases, I think that's the explosiveness or the ability of Richie James particularly and George Kittle. The Raiders' defense didn't play very well. And on those three sort of major splash plays, particularly Garcon's touchdown, the very long, impressive catch from George Kittle where Nick Mullins threw the ball in some crazy traffic and they still completed the catch, and then Richie James' uh, 50-something yard reception, I think that there's an important discussion there to be had that while Nick Mullins did really well, 162 yards came after the catch. And on those three plays that I mentioned, those splash plays, it was like 149 yards or so. So these receivers also really, really made some impressive plays. And if we're going to discuss that this is a Nick Mullins sort of breakout game, I think we have to inherently discuss that this is the first time that we've seen the 49ers receiving core absolutely dominate somebody. Well, I think when a wide receiver is that wide open and they're able to get that that many yards after the catch, I think that's a testament to the way the offense is structured. I'm thinking of two plays specifically. One, the the absolute wide open touchdown to Pierre Garcon. I mean, that what Garcon literally had. I don't think there was a defender within what five to ten yards of him. Even more, which yeah. Is, I went and watched. The safety was was ten yards was ten yards away from Pierre Garcon, and his momentum was taking him the wrong direction. Yeah, you don't even get that open in the Big 12 in college. Like, that's some straight Mac bullshit. Like, that's that you you do not even see that in college. And that's how wide open Pierre Garcon was. And and I think that Mullins, of course, finding him, getting the ball to him, and and making sure that that's a completed pass is is not it doesn't mean that Mullins is great. It just means he's able to execute. And that means that Kyle Shanahan called a phenomenal counterpunch to uh, you know a collection of plays in that opening script. And then I think of that that. Uh, the play to Richie James. And that I think is a little bit more on Mullins because he does identify the blitz and he does throw uh, it to the open receiver. But then, I mean, that receiver had off coverage. All he had to do was basically run and catch and then sprint in the open field. And that again means that you've got Shanahan who's understanding that he's got to put those concepts together. And Nick Mullins just took what the defense gave him. Uh, I think overall the receivers played well. But I still think a lot of this has to do with with the way that Kyle Shanahan's able to put his receivers in a position to succeed. He just finally had a quarterback that could distribute a bit. He finally did. And it was really exciting to see, as you mentioned, with with Nick Mullen's ability to identify blitzes, which, you know, so much of uh, what you what I think a defensive coordinator wants to do. And we'll get into this more even later, but you want to bring pressure on a young guy that you don't know what sort of live bullets Nick Mullins has seen and his ability, at least on four of those throws to identify where the blitz was coming from, to get the ball out in rhythm. And then to allow the receivers to make plays is really impressive, particularly as far as making plays, just another week where George Kittle shows up as as who I'm, I would say, looking around the league right now, he's he's one of the best from uh, from a perspective that he he's the high he's the best receiver on this team week in week out. He's the he's the most dangerous threat. He's a mismatch. Whatever you want to label him, we've yet to see somebody really put the clamps on him. And in addition to that. He's comfortable blocking. The 49ers can leave him on the field at all times for any reason, even when they want to mix in some of those backup tight ends to go with the two tight end sets. Right now, as you look around the league, it's hard to see a player that is playing better than George Kittle, who is just routinely making splash plays. Did you see that George Kittle judges like how how good he's playing by how other tight how many other elite tight ends are following him on Twitter? Like apparently after Sunday's game, Travis Kelsey started following him. And George Kittle was like, oh, this is great. I've, I've been following Travis Kelsey for years. So now that he's following me, I know I'm doing well. 
I think there's a, uh, I can't remember who said it. There's a quote from a fr- famous athlete. It may even, and by athlete, I, it actually might be Dwayne the Rock Johnson. But I think he says, when you <laughs> Hey, he played football. He's an athlete. When you're the greatest, you don't have to tell people how good you are. They'll tell you. So I think George Kittle's on the right track there. To, you know, now that uh, he's making a little noise, people are starting to let him know how good he is. But just overall, an, an impressive player that, coming out of Iowa in a scheme that just doesn't highlight uh, particularly tight ends, but really uh, out boundary skill players in any regard. Uh, the fact that the 49ers were able to get him when they were, when healthy, he looks like an absolute stud for the next four or five years, no doubt. And I do think it's important to note the talent level that Kyle Shanahan is working with because he has remolded and reformed this roster. And and the players that he's doing this with are a third-string quarterback that didn't get a visit, a, a, an undrafted quarterback who didn't get invited to the Combine, you know, a, a third-round quarterback for the other half of the games that were, t- well, more than half the games that we're talking about. Matt Breed is an undrafted free agent. George Kittle's a fifth-round tight end. I mean, the wide receivers were effectively scrap heap wide receivers. Pierre Garçon was considered a bit over the hill. Marquise Goodwin was considered just a, G- a deep threat. Richie James is another late-round draft pick. I think he's a fifth-rounder. Trent Taylor's a fifth-rounder. He's not doing this with, like, pedigreed talent, and yet he's able to be in the upper third of the league in explosive plays. His, you know, his offensive DVOA is beyond, I think, what the talent would give him. His PFF grades are really, really good, and I think it's just because he's able to maximize what these players can do. But I think this is also where you see a little bit of the marriage of the the scouting department in addition to what Kyle Shanahan wants from these positions and wants from these players. You see a bit of that combination able to shine through in the way that Shanahan's able to deploy these players. So I think you, you look at the offensive success, any offensive success that we've had this season is really a testament to both Cal Shanahan and how Cal Shanahan has worked with the front office. The we've had this dis- discussion before, but this this sort of cohesiveness in an organization is critical to the sort of overall success. And like you said, what they've been able to do really on the fly because you couldn't predict, obviously, that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to go down. You couldn't predict that Jarek McKinnon, really the free agent guy that they went after in terms of skill position, couldn't predict that he was going to go down. Dante Pettis hasn't played a lot as, as sort of the receiver that they drafted, obviously, with his skills and ability in mind as far as what he could bring to Shanahan's offense. They're really sort of mismatching or, or sort of mixing all of this together and it's morphed from what looked like it would be a Jimmy Garoppolo and Jarek McKinnon show to sort of using George Kittle as the focal point of this offense and then doing other things around him and what he can do well sort of collectively as a team then to find some success. Obviously, you want to see it week to week play out, and there's been some issues with C.J. Beathard at quarterback and in particular some of their performance against the Arizona Cardinals just a couple weeks ago, and they've still got some tests moving forward, but on the fly to do this is really, really impressive. And it just, in, in my opinion, serves as a reminder that Kyle Shanahan, he's still in that top tier of, of not just offensive coaches, but of head coaches. And, and with even average talent, he's able to, you know, on the go and mid-season continue to adapt and continue to make sure that his scheme is successful, which is really, really difficult in the NFL where every team is fielding elite player, you know, above average players, sans maybe the the Cleveland Browns from time to time. Now, this is still a bad Oakland team, right? We're not sitting here and saying that Kyle Shannon is ready to take the next step into being like the, you know, taking this team to the Super Bowl or something. But I think it is important for teams to beat up on teams that they are better than. 
when you're a good team, and, and we talked about this during the Harbaugh years, you should be able to beat and dunk on the teams that you are clearly better than. It's when you then go up against a team that is equally talented or more talented that things get a bit more 50-50 and, and in that kind of difficult, I could win, maybe I don't win kind of range. But ideally, the next step for this team is not to go 11-4 and four or 10-6, and six, but it's to start convincingly and consistently beating teams where they are at either a coaching or talent advantage. And hopefully that talent advantage you know, becomes a bit greater soon. But right now, I think the Niners have a clear coaching advantage for several teams in the NFL. And that, I think, is what showed in the game against Oakland. It absolutely did. And, and once this talent is able to sort of match other top rosters in the league, and particularly looking at the in-division rival Saints, or excuse me, Rams, uh, the Saints in the in conference as well, but not, not in division there. But nonetheless, those two teams, for roster perspective, seem to have better talent. When the 49ers are able to match some of those teams, it's exciting to think about what Kyle Shanahan might be able to do. All right, now let, let's talk a little bit about spotlight players because the, the I've got one on defense and you've got one on offense. And while we're not talking a huge amount about the defense in, in the, the recap of the Oakland game because, you know, Mullins Mania was definitely the story, I do think it's important to highlight one Mr. Dakota Watson. Uh, every time I think of this name, I just think of that, that scene in... Um, uh, in coming to America, where it's like Crown Heights own Mr. Randy Watson. Uh, that's what I, that's how I want to say his name all the time. Just Dakota Watson. But he basically completely abused whomever the Raiders put out at left tackle. He had two sacks, four hurries, six total pressures. He showed speed around the edge, power to go through offensive linemen, and he even showed a spin move that was a counter that was pretty effective. Actually, had the offensive lineman not tripped him. This was Dakota Watson's first game back from injury, and he played really, really well. Again, talent needs to be kind of put into, uh, or this needs to be put into context, right? He was going up against a Raiders team that looks like they've just flat out given up. But I do think Dakota Watson's definitely going to be someone I'm watching against the New York Giants, because if he can continue this performance, we may have found uh, an edge rusher that can, you know, provide a spark where the Niners have had no spark at edge rusher up to now. They really haven't. And a reminder that Dakota Watson also is a core special teamer. So, you know, year one, two, three, maybe of this rebuild, he's a guy that's going to stick around that could play on the edge, could play a little bit of Sam linebacker for them. Finally, we get to see somebody that can legitimately rush the passer. And, you know, not so surprisingly, the rest of the pass rush did did well also it was sort of a, the, a collective effort whether that's because Watson returned or not he individually played really well the group that he's a part of or sort of that that pass rushing group played well and he was a part of that so it's going to be interesting to see how they play against the Giants and other teams moving forward particularly when they see the Rams again and have an opportunity in division to make a little bit of potential noise but nice to have him back uh, I saw something today that mentioned or uh a tweet today mentioning that Dakota Watson said that the reason he felt so good was that he's actually dropped a little bit of weight from last year and that he was playing at a little bit more of a, a, a lighter weight, which obviously, you know, turns up that speed and athleticism a little bit, which is really what the 49ers need in this scheme. In terms of pass rushing ability, Solomon Thomas is going to win with a little bit of hustle and energy and effort inside. inside. Buckner, DeForest Buckner is going to win with crazy power, length, uh, good hand usage, but they really don't have that sort of, uh, you know, 
fearful speed rusher, somebody that can routinely get around the edge. And if Dakota Watson, obviously a veteran in the league, but if you can come with, uh, you know, even some even some bit of burst and explosiveness off the edge, you know, within the first three or four steps, whether he's going to be this, you know, high number, I don't know that he's ever going to be a double digit sack player, but if his speed and, and burst off the edge is enough to give offensive line, offensive line coaches and offensive linemen concern, then the 49ers have already improved their pass rush drastically. It'll be interesting to watch how they continue to to rotate those snaps moving forward because this is now another player that seems to have earned some pass rushing snaps. So you're looking at Sheldon Day, Cassius Marsh, Ronald Blair, Dakota Watson, Solomon Thomas, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and trying to figure out who among these guys or what rather what group of these guys, three or four, can be our routine pass rush package on, you know, third down when we're expecting pass. I think Dakota Watson, even in one week, whether it's the Raiders or not, has to have put himself squarely in that com- in that conversation as a guy you got to get on the field. Well, I, you know, I think that this is now year, this is year eight for Dakota Watson. He was drafted by Tampa Bay in the seventh round in 2010. So he's been around longer than I, than I thought he was, honestly. It felt like he was like a four or five year guy. And he's never had a pass rush grade above what looks like 67 or 69, which was 2011, 2013, when he was still at Tampa Bay. So what's the likely outcome? What's the likely scenario? Chances are he'll come back to earth when he, when he faces better competition. But I think that this is the rest of this year is the part of the year where you should be tinkering. Like you should be trying different, uh, different alignments and, and be trying different things with players. I'm glad that Tarverius Moore got a few snaps there in the fourth quarter to see what he could do in some game snaps. And I do think that if anyone, Dakota Watson should take some of Cassius Marsh's snaps, to be honest with you. We know what we have in Cassius Marsh, and it's just a rotational guy that's just okay. So, you know, I think you're right to say that the Niners should be tinkering and trying at this point because they've got to figure out who they're going to keep and retain and give meaningful snaps to next year when the Niners are really going to be under the playoff gun. Absolutely. It, you know, without calling out Cassius Marsh too much, I think that's the guy that, that has to see some of his snap count dwindle. And maybe, quite frankly, that make that might make him more, you know, sort of uh, effective when he, Marsh himself doesn't have to be this, you know, 45, 50 snap player a game. I don't know his exact counts, but when he's not always the dude and the one that has to sort of be expected to be the speed rusher off the edge, it might actually make him more effective when he's not an every down player. All right, but let's get to the person that you jinxed because you full-on jinxed someone before the, the game, and now they have a flailing arm, and it was disgusting to see and hear on the broadcast. So give us your spotlight player. I've got a spotlight, Raheem Mostert, and in, in some ways this is a bit of an apology. I'm sure he listens to the podcast just like many other 49ers players and coaches. But Well, Robert uh, Sala, friend of the pod. Not, uh, absolutely, the absolutely. Not surprisingly, the 49ers defensive turnaround is coming at a time where uh, we were specifically giving advice there. Uh, but absolutely. Just, just before Mostert got hurt, I tweeted something out about you know his explosiveness, and he had that nice long touchdown touchdown that McGlinchey really led the way for but nonetheless you know here's Raheem Mostert on the field again making an explosive play when he touches the ball this dude's getting seven eight yards a pop in a variety of ways so I'm highlighting him you know I'm feeling good because here I am identifying talent and and the 49ers got this this explosive backup running back give him some snaps over Alfred Morris and all this and then his arm you know 
bends in ways you don't want to see it bend on national television. It was, dude, uh, it was so gross. It like, was. Like, you, you can hear the snap on the broadcast. It was bad. And at some point, somebody that works within the, the production departments has to say, hey, guys, if we're going to show this, everyone on Twitter is asking for a warning. So let's let's uh, give an open broadcast warning before we show it. It's just this sort of silly with the sort of uh, whimsical nature with which they go, hey, look at this. Oh, my gosh, his arms in two. Uh, it's, it's sort of silly. But just before he got hurt, I called him out, hyped him up, and then he goes and gets hurt. And uh, it's really too bad because he looked at like he was at a spot where, you know, in terms of overall career development, maybe this guy's going to take a little bit of a leap and, and really become an established backup player and in a league that likes to go, you know, running back by committee, earn himself some snaps. Above that, he was a, he's a Pro Bowl special teams player. And I don't know that people recognize the, there is going to be a drop-off and a loss because he's gone. Be, at Gunner, he is fiend. He's phenomenal, and there's not many players in the league that can do it as well as he does, and and the 49ers are now missing that, which will be a problem. With him gone now, it'll be interesting to see where they turn for running back help. If it is to the practice squad, I think it's going to be Jeff Wilson from North Texas, who I scouted uh, when I did some draft work with Matt Miller of Bleacher Report, and he just... Uh, he's just didn't look like an NFL ready player to me. He's about six foot under 200 pounds, about 195. And more importantly, in addition to sort of being uh, taller and thinner, he runs very upright with a lower, a lower frame or excuse me, a small lower body frame. And in addition to that, North Texas had to put him on a, a, a fairly strict nutritional plan his senior season just to keep him on the field because there were some weight, uh, weight concerns that, you know, you gotta, you gotta sort of meet these thresholds to be able to deal with this abuse. I don't know that Jeff Wilson is going to come in and be a uh, you know a starter long term at any any stop he ever has in his NFL career, but as we saw, Raheem Moster was getting carries, and Alfred Morris was getting carries, and Matt Breida every once in a while needs a breather, and if Jeff Jeff Wilson's on the roster, he's going to get carries. I'm curious to see what the 49ers do here because making up for the loss loss of Moster both as a running back and a special teams player is going to be really difficult. Well, I think that the one thing that they can do is is a result of something that happened earlier today, which is going to be the release of Amir Abdullah by the Detroit Lions. And I think that you're absolutely right. Cal Shanahan does like to rotate his running backs. He doesn't, at least from his Atlanta days to now, hasn't shown that he really likes that kind of 30, 40 carry, uh, you know, back that bell cow back. He's always had a rotation and that rotation, even when Morris and Mostert and Brita were the backs, you know, they, they had a pretty clear rotation, even if Matt Brita was the starter. And, and I think Amir Abdullah, someone who just kind of fell out of favor in Detroit, he is on the last year of his rookie deal. So it's 2018. I think it would, re- it would really cost the Niners about $500,000, basically the rest of his game checks to, to claim him on waivers and get him on the team. And I think that, that that's totally worth it. I mean, this is a player who is a much better receiver than he is a running back, but that's a skill set the Niners could really use. I think Matt Breida has definitely done well to improve his receiving game, but the Niners could do well to have a receiving back come out of the backfield. And and this is a player who has had a consistently good, you know, kind of season and years as a pass catching back. I think the Niners should definitely kick the tires on someone like Abdullah. Wouldn't cost them a whole hell of a lot. They are third in waiver priority right now behind just the Raiders uh, and the New York football giants, who, of course, we face here in uh, in just a few days. But I would much prefer the Niners put it, put in a waivers claim on Amir Abdullah before I would say have them kick up someone like Jeff Wilson. 
I agree with that. And right now, Amir Abdullah is still on his rookie contract. Financially, not going to be too expensive. Uh, you know, when you when you bring him in, either way. So the 49ers, you know, obviously McKinnon was a guy they signed to be a long term back. No problem bringing Abdullah in at least for the end of the year, and it becomes an evaluation opportunity as well. Yeah, I don't know that to me. And I, I really, again, I think Alfred Morris has that story that you really, really like. But I think after this year, I would much rather see someone come in and try and, and play for his spot because I think between McKinnon and Brita, you're settled at one and two. I think Mostert has shown enough to be number three. And I think you need some other kind of wild card to come in to try and uh, and compete with Mostert. And I think that seems to be more like something Amir Abdullah can do uh, and not something that, that Morris or even Jeff Wilson can do. So... I think the team should definitely put in a claim for him. And I would do that even before I, I put in a claim for Bruce Irvin. I would as well. One thing I want to note, too, because I know there's discussion, or at least uh, you know, on Twitter, uh, when I mentioned Amir Abdullah, there was a little bit of discussion actually from 49ers, a former 49ers defensive lineman Ian Williams about the need to identify a bigger back that can get some some goal line carries. Matt Breida runs hard in between the tackles, and Alfred Morris decide, just because you're you're big does not mean you are an ideal you know big back inside. And obviously Ian Williams played at the highest level, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tip my hat there in terms of veteran presence and and give him sort of the the. I'll give him the pulpit there to speak or, or the soapbox, but I might add that in Kyle, Kyle Juszczyk is a pretty athletic dude and you could get some goal line carries out of him. If that's really the concern, if you're looking for short yardage carries, there are ways to mix up uh, who gets those short yardage carries. And, and if Alfred Morris's only job on the roster is to be a short yardage back, then that's not good because you know your th- your third four string running back needs to play more than needs to do more than that. They need to be able to play special teams and otherwise, uh, you know, be be much more of a presence uh, in other areas than just hey, when it's something in short, he gets on the field. Would you rather have a good running back or a big running back? <laughs> I'll take good, please. Exactly, because I think that when you're looking at short yardage situations, that's what matters more is whether you have a good back and whether or not you have a good offensive line. I think that this whole like I need a big back thing is a bit of an anachronism and it's something that people think you need to have in the NFL. But if you're you know, if you have a, a really powerful, strong, fast back, they can generate power with speed. They can generate yardage through vision and your offensive line is probably the most important thing here anyway. So I don't think that you need to have like a big back just to have a big back. Um, so, you know, I'm definitely, I'm not on that train. I'm like, give me, give me speed and I'll generate some power through speed. Absolutely. And, and with some of the versatility that you mentioned Amir Abdullah brings, there's really this, there could in theory be sort of a, a triumvirate among the 49ers running backs. Should that be a trio moving forward that would offer Kyle Shanahan quite a bit offensively. And, and you know, he's going to be able to scheme up you know, power and, and short yardage uh, success. All right. Well, this next game is going to be pretty important, though, for the 49ers because it is indeed the loser's bracket of the Bosa Bowl. At this point, the Niners have beat the Oakland Raiders. And so we are no longer in contention, at least right now, for the first overall pick in the NFL draft. But the tournament is not yet over. We still have another game to face the Giants to basically now at this point settle on who's going to finish second in the NFL draft because, of course, the Oakland Raiders right now own the rights to the first overall pick. So this is still a game that matters for draft position. We're fighting for the things that matter, Jared. These are the things that we have to latch on to. And it sounds like Nick Mullins is going to start. 
again. And and so I think if you're the Giants and your defensive coordinator, James U. Betcher, which I've given him the nickname U because every time I hear the name James Betcher, it just sounds like you betcha. So I'm giving him the nickname U. So it's James U. Betcha. Uh, and I'm thinking, okay, how's he gonna attack how's he gonna attack Nick Mullins? And the first thing he's going to do is he's gonna send a ton of pressure because that's something that James Betcher does anyway. The 49ers, and we just discussed this in regards to how Nick Mullins played against you know the Blitz Thursday night. The pressure that Nick Mullins saw wasn't much, and so if there is an uh, a highlighted unknown, because I think Nick Mullins as a whole is still fairly unknown right after one performance. If there is an unknown or a more important unknown, the Giants have to be looking at this going, okay, way to go, Rook. Now we're going to keep coming at you. And in addition to bringing that pressure, Betcher comes, excuse me, you Betcher comes from a... Good, you got to respect the brand. Respect the brand. Absolutely. He comes from an Arizona Cardinals system working with Todd Bowles and Bruce Arians that you know, offensively, Bruce Arians is a risk taker. Todd Bowles obviously moved on to be a head coach. Betcher still at the defensive coordinator position, but he's coming from this coaching tree or this 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 philosophy that we are going to be the the ones making. You know, we're we're setting the terms of the game. We're going to play by our by our standards and our guidelines, and that inherently says this is a defensive coordinator that's going to come after a quarterback. Yeah, you know, when you look at uh, Betcher's history in, in Arizona, he worked with Todd Bowles in Arizona in 2013. He assumed defensive coordinator responsibilities in 2015. Uh, he is a kind of a, a longtime blitzer of quarterbacks. In, in 2017, the Cardinals under Betcher blitzed 37% of the time. That was tied for fifth in the NFL. And it, really, that was actually down from the year before where it was 41 and 47%, the two years prior to that, respectively, and they led the league in both of those years. This year so far, he's blitzed 32% of the time, which is a little lower than what he did with the Cardinals, and and so far, it's not been terribly successful. But I think that this is a game where Betcher's probably licking his chops, and he's thinking, I've got a young quarterback. I, you know, He doesn't have a ton of game experience. I probably need to send more pressure. So if I had to guess, I would guess the Giants probably end up a little bit higher than that 32% blitz, that 32% average that they've had this year, especially because, again, the Niners wide receivers, if we've seen any pattern this year of teams that have been able to disrupt the 49ers offense, it's where they're blitzing and they're just able to man up the 49ers receivers and the receivers haven't been able to break away. And so I think if I'm Betcher and I'm thinking of how I'm going to attack this offense, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to play press. I'm going to pressure and I'm going to blitz and I'm going to make Nick Mullins process the game faster than I think he wants to. And that fits well within Betcher's philosophy. And I think that's that's exactly how they're going to come at the 49ers. In terms of overall talent as well, the New York Giants don't have an outstanding defense and the name of the game, you know, you know, two not great teams, the 49ers coming off a win, but obviously still a lower level team in the league, still picking in the top five. That's, that's what you do. I mean, right. With, with poor talent, especially on the, the Giants defense, send pressure, try to force this, this, you know, essentially this rookie quarterback into mistakes because otherwise you don't really have the players to sit back 
and just generate pressure with your front and and play a lot of heavy coverage on the back end, a lot of heavy zone coverage on the back end, and and pick this this you know pick these these throws off from Nick Mullins. They've got to bring pressure. They've got to get the ball out fast, one way or another, because their pass rush isn't particularly good. Otherwise, really, sans Olivier Vernon, who's their best pass rusher. But aside from aside from him, they don't look particularly good. They just shipped off Damon Harrison, one of their best defensive interior defensive linemen. They don't have a particularly good group of inside linebackers. Don't have a particularly good group of of defensive backs. They just let Eli Apple go to the Saints, and and obviously he struggled. But he was a a one round, a first round pick at cornerback. So they're they're t- they're devoid of talent. They're void of talent right now as well. And to compete with the 49ers, not that the 49ers are great, but to compete with the 49ers and particularly particularly to compete with Kyle Shanahan, they're going to have to bring a lot of pressure. And as you mentioned, it just so happens that that philosophically plays right into what we apparently know Betcher likes to do. Yeah, well, what's funny is I think that even though Betcher likes to blitz a lot, that hasn't resulted in a ton of pressures for the, the defense because I think, like you said, they just they don't have a lot of horses. They don't have the talent. They have 10 total sacks here. Uh, that's 31st in the league. They, they have the 29th graded pass rush grade based on pro football focus, and that's for the team. So this is, if Nick Mullins can have another game where he just doesn't see a lot of pressure, this could be another successful outing for Mullins. And now this is, of course, a home game for the Niners against the Giants. They've got two home games. The last, I think, uh, stretch of their season, they've got more home games than they had away because that opening stretch was difficult. So I think, you know, irrespective of how much Betcher is going to blitz, the blitzes are irrelevant if they're not successful. And so far, Betcher hasn't been able to turn those blitzes into success. And so even if he blitzes a whole hell of a lot, I'd be interested to see how the Niners offensive line holds up because the offensive line has been a strength for the Niners so far this year. Uh, Mike McGlinchey, of course, a better run blocker than a pass blocker, but You've got uh, you've got some interesting, I think, back and forth there, and, and I'd I'd be surprised if uh, the Niners weren't able to handle some of those blitz schemes um, and give Mullins a bit more time, and then hopefully Mullins gives you uh, a little bit of what he gave you against the Raiders. But all right, so if the if the Giants are going to play some kind of kind of man coverage and do that kind of stuff then really what we've seen Shanahan do is try to attack linebackers because they're the weak coverage defenders, especially in the middle of the field. And so what do the middle of the field defenders look like for the Giants? Uh, and are they any good? They're not, in, in to be succinct. Uh, obviously, they've got other concerns on the defense as well. And as you mentioned, if Betcher decides to play a lot of man coverage or to really try to take away the middle of the field, he's going to have to send help because right now the players that the the New York Giants have over the middle of the field are not particularly good. I think this is another game where George Kittle plays really, really well, particularly because the New York Giants have Alec Ogletree and BJ Goodson at linebacker. And particularly Ogletree, I've been on him since he was with the Rams. I think he is a... Uh, he is remarkably overrated, and really it's it's all because of uh, hard knocks with the Rams, and they did a wonderful job of hyping him up because they've got to create a storyline somehow, and not surprisingly, as soon as Sean McVay gets there, he uh, finds a way to get 
Alec Ogletree out of there. He's simply not very good. And, and he does a wonderful job of appearing to be good and, and sort of is around the ball a lot, but he makes what I like to call sort of cleanup tackles, which is, this is not a linebacker that fills downhill, sits in the a gap at the line of scrimmage and makes tackles. This is a linebacker that makes tackles six or seven yards down the field after he's already missed. And so he's technically getting tackle stats and the numbers might look good, but they're wildly inflated by generally poor play. Right now, he just sat out their last game. He's hurt, but their sort of backups aren't particularly good either. B.J. Goodson, a couple of years in the league, but uh, overall a very underdeveloped player. And then the other players that they'll play will be rookies as well. So overall, in terms of matchup advantage, just player to player and where the 49ers can find success over the middle of the field, I, I have to anticipate that Shanahan is licking his chops. And some of these throws might not be directly tied to over the middle, but when those players can't, you mentioned Leon Hall earlier being able to drop into that that sort of hook coverage zone and Mullins being able to throw a, a ball over him, a really impressive throw, he might not even have to make quite as impressive throws this week because those players, those underneath players, if they're these inside linebackers for the New York Giants, they can't get, they, they just can't, they are not going to be able to run with George Kittle almost anywhere on the field. And I think the 49ers, if they're looking at a, a matchup that they can exploit, whereas Betcher might say, okay, we're going to be able to, uh, you know, sort of scare this rookie, effective rookie, obviously not a rookie, but more, more or less, Nick Mullins is a rookie, a new player getting on the field, facing a blitz and facing some pressure to try and throw him off his game. The 49ers are going to be able to counter that by going directly at the New York Giants inside linebackers. Yeah, and what's interesting about Mullen's game against the Raiders is that he really had success on in the middle of the field. He didn't really have a ton of throws out on the edges. And the, when you look at his throws on the edges specifically, in the intermediate areas, so 10 to 19 yards outside the numbers, he didn't complete a pass. He was 0 for 2 to the left side and 0 for 2 on the right side. A lot of his damage was done in the short area of the field or in the middle of the field. And, and that's where I think... If I were Betcher, I would probably force Mullins to the edges, to the outside, especially if you're going to test his arm. I mean, there was a play that was incomplete that Mullins threw in the in the Raiders game where, I mean, it was probably a little too far inside. It looked like it just didn't have enough zip to get out there to the outside shoulder for the wide receiver. And if I'm a defensive back, I'm licking my chops because if you throw, if you try to throw an outside route and the, the only place you can't throw that ball is inside. If you're going to miss, miss out wide. Um, and it was a little on the inside. So if I'm better, I'm going to force them or I'm going to try to force Mullins into you know, throwing into uncomfortable spaces. And that's going to be near the edges on the outside. And I'm probably going to pack as many damn defenders as I can in the middle as humanly possible. Um, you know, because if Nick Mullins is going to find success against the Giants, that's where he's going to want to find it. And so um, I'd expect we'd see a lot of cover one, a lot of cover one robber, and just basically taking away the middle, forcing throws on the outside, and then probably bringing some pressure that hopefully Mullins hasn't seen before. Nick Mullins, for uh, as impressive as he was on Thursday night, he's going to, you know, you got tape in the league now, and nobody uh, can adjust or catch up faster than NFL coaches. Well, for the most part, obviously, there's still some boneheads out there doing things that make absolutely no sense. But you'd like to think that if you're in the NFL coaching, you've got legit tape on Nick Mullins now. The, the, the Giants certainly know exactly what they 
can expect from Nick Mullins, I think, from a talent standpoint. As you mentioned, that throw that you're talking about, just and I think they even said it on the TV broadcast as well in, in the moment. You could tell he just didn't have the arm strength, at least on that individual throw. And it's a hard throw. That's why at the Combine, Every every quarterback that shows up to the combine, they ask him to throw that deep out route because they want to see if, you know, from one hash, can you throw 15 yards on a rope to the to the opposite sideline? It's a difficult throw, but the elite quarterbacks make it and the not elite quarterbacks don't. And the one place you can't leave it, as you mentioned, is inside. Nick Mullins kind of got away with one last week against a bad Raiders defense. But now that it's been shown, the New York Giants are obviously seeing that and going to force a lot of those those receivers into the middle of the field and say, go ahead or, you know, or excuse me, try try to keep those receivers from out of uh, the inside of the field, put defenders in the middle of the field and say, if you're going to beat us, you're going to make throws outside of the hashes. You need to make them down the field and we're going to force you to continue to show us that you can do this because right now it's too early to say if he legit can. All right, so can the Niners really continue any of their defensive success against the Giants? This is, of course, a Giants team that drafted a generational talent in Saquon Barkley. Of course, a running back that has helped them win so many games. You know, wins above replacement are, of course, the preeminent running back stat. And uh, you can put at least, uh, what, like six wins on Saquon Barkley's shoulders? That's, that's how this works? Is that, is that what's happening? That's exactly how it works, yep. Yeah, so basically you've got, I mean, the, the, all jokes aside, the, the Giants do have talent on offense. Uh, it's not at their quarterback position. But it is at the wide receiver position, and while I disagree with drafting someone like Barkley that high overall, he is still a talented running back. Do you think that the Giants are going to have more success than the Raiders on offense? And two, do you think that the Niners' defense will be able to hold that offense at bay enough to be able to kind of give Mullen some breathing room in order to give him you know, kind of some, uh, some space to actually not play behind on the scoreboard for so long? I think the Giants will definitely find more success from the Raiders, and that's just from a a superstar perspective. Saquon Barkley, generational talent. Odell Beckham Jr., when on his game, is elite. Evan Engram, the Giants' tight end, is actually a solid receiving tight end in his second year in the league, still kind of improving. But overall, there are some more pieces there, I think, effectively, that, that the New York Giants can exploit. I do at the same time think that Nick Mullins starts fortunately are coming at the same time that the 49ers are playing bad opponents and that includes offensively bad opponents. The New York Giants still are putting Eli Manning under center and he's well past his prime, doesn't look particularly good and so I think this is a week where the 49ers might be able to keep things going and really keep rolling. I don't know that it's going to be to the same sort of points, uh, you know, keeping the point total as low as they did against the Raiders, but effectively being able to manage a game where Nick Mullins can continue to find some success. I don't know that the 49ers at the same time are going to go put up mid thirties again, but if they could put up three, four touchdowns, I think that's enough with a a giants offense that has some explosive playmakers, but in totality really lacks the overall uh, sort of effectiveness. And I think some of that comes from the the head coach lacks the overall effectiveness to legitimately compete long-term and that's why the Giants as well are sort of in this loser's bracket for a, a top pick here. I think the 49ers can continue their success. Robert Sala, uh, over the last few weeks, has really made an impressive uh, adjustment, at least what appears to be uh, sort of overall what he's doing in terms of getting this 49ers defense back on track. And it'd be nice to see them keep this going. Yeah, you know, if I'm the, the Giants, I think I've got to go with a pass-heavy run script because... If the Niners do something well, it is play the run 
pretty well. I mean, they've got a ton of run defenders along the defensive line between Armstead, Buckner, Solomon Thomas in the run game. That's where he shines, even if it's not as a pass rusher. And, and I think that Fred Warner, of course, is playing well as well. So I think overall, if the, the Giants come out and try to run Saquon Barkley down our throats, I think that's a mistake. I think where the Giants have a marked advantage is in the passing game. And that's with Odell Beckham Jr., and if I were the Giants, I wouldn't line Odell Beckham out on the right side of the offense, left side of the defense, because the Niners don't rotate their corners. They don't have field boundary corners or anything like that. They basically put Sherman out on the left side of the defense, and then they put Witherspoon or whomever saw is rotating a defensive back over on the other side. And, and so I think that if I'm the Giants, I'm moving Beckham around. I'm putting him in the slot. I'm matching him up against Witherspoon. And I'm targeting Beckham or Ingram over and over and over again. And I'm utilizing Barkley in the passing game. Whether or not the Giants will do that, I have no idea. But I think that's where you attack the Niners is where they're weakest. I mean, you've got Tyvis Powell playing at safety due to injury. And he's, you know, just not good. He's not good. And so it would be surprising to me if the Giants came out and tried to run this kind of run-heavy script uh, because they really should be passing against the Niners, as all te- as all teams should at this point. They really should. Tyvis Powell, another player that played good last week, his continued improvement is going to be important, as you mentioned, against a, a Giants team with some explosive playmakers. That's that's the weak link to weak link to exploit. Absolutely. All right, so give me a matchup that you'll be watching this week as as you watch the Niners play the the Giants here and, and maybe you know again it's a win-win game if we win hey we won fantastic let's be happy uh and if we lose hey better draft position right so it's it's a win-win game either way but the game within the game who's the player that you're going to be watching in, in the Niners versus Giants I'm looking at Mike McGlinchey and whether he can continue to play as well as he has of late to continue to be you know quietly uh, he's not going to win but in terms of overall play he's Offensive rookie of the year caliber, his, his play thus far. He'll be uh, more than likely going against B.J. Hill, the New York Giants rookie defensive tackle that they selected in the third round of uh, April's draft, who's a good player, played at NC State with Bradley Chubb and Contavious Street, who the 49ers uh, selected as well in the draft. But when he was coming out, he's got a great frame, big, powerful body, and uh, has some weight room numbers that are pretty damn impressive. But on film, really lacked uh, the ability to anchor against the run, where Mike McGlinchey shows the athleticism and power to continually do that well. And if he can continue to do that this week, I think the 49ers have a markedly uh, have have a really a really impressive uh, advantage there in terms of some of the the zone stuff that Kyle Shanahan can do, where he can get Mike McGlinchey and George Kittle working on sort of those tray blocks, where they then climb to linebackers. We already mentioned that the linebackers are weak. That sort of combo block, I, I think you're going to see some really impressive movement at the point of attack if Mike McGlinchey comes with his best stuff. You know, I don't know if Landon Collins is going to guard George Kittle, but if he does and he lines up over George Kittle, that's definitely something I'll be watching just to see kind of the sparks fly in that matchup. But I think for me, honestly, and I've talked about it a little bit already, I'm going to watch Odell Beckham against anyone because I think that Odell Beckham is going to be a true test for Witherspoon and Sherman and we'll be able to get a bit more uh, about Sherman as well as learn where Witherspoon is at in terms of his development because I think that Sherman right now is in this area where everyone thinks he's phenomenal and he's playing at an above average level, but he's not playing like lights out shutdown corner. It's just that he's the best corner we have. 
And why would you continue to attack Richard Sherman when you've got easy pickings on the other side, when you've got Greg Mabin or Akella Witherspoon, who's not been playing great? You know, why why going up against any path of resistance when you can go the path of least resistance? And so that's why Sherman's coverage grade, I think, is not nearly as high as his kind of, you know, coverage snaps per reception allowed. That That's, what I think, what explains that discrepancy. And, and I think that Sherman's our best corner, yes. And so I'd love to see how he matches up against Odell Beckham because I think at that point it's kind of old savvy vet versus re- like one of the top three receivers in the league. But I also would really like to see Beckham Jr. against Witherspoon to see how Witherspoon's talent shines, to see whether he can hang with one of the best receivers in the NFL. Uh, and so that's that's probably what I'll be watching. Um, and then I'll, be, of course, be just on Generational Talent Watch, uh, and I'll be comparing Barkley versus Breida to see how those uh, two players end up. But th- that's probably what I'll be watching most uh, in this game. Saquon Barkley, obviously, physically, absolutely unbelievable. What he's brought to the New York Giants offense in year one is really impressive. But... As you just noted, the dichotomy between his play and Matt Breida is going to be really exciting to watch because, you know, from an evaluation standpoint, taking a running back in the top five is is one of the more, I think, hotly contested questions. Some that believe that's absolutely worth it, some that believe it's not worth it at all, regardless of talent. Seeing those two sort of you know, in the same game and being able to evaluate, you know, obviously not against one another. They're not meeting each other in the hole to see who's, you know, tougher Oklahoma drill or anything like that. But to see them play uh, and to know, you know, undrafted versus top three overall pick, going to be exciting to see. All right, so let's get to the predictions. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I'm trying to find the line here. I think the line is I've Niners favored in, by three. Yeah, Niners by three at home, which makes makes sense. Neutral side, this is essentially a pick em game. I think the 49ers could could see continued success. I will say in terms of, you know, cautionary tale, Nick Mullins is fun as Thursday night was. I do still have concerns. I am still curious to see what the 49ers can get out of him a second week. And with uh, extended film on tape for a defensive coordinator to look at the giants, as we mentioned, have some really explosive playmakers at some critical positions on offense. I think it comes down to who makes more mistakes at the quarterback position. Obviously Eli Manning has the sort of the veteran nod, but is not playing particularly well hasn't in a couple of years doesn't have a, the arm talent that he that he used to have and if the 49ers defense can take advantage of that I think they're going to be in a good position to win right now I think I'll take the 49ers and I think I'll take them to cover this spread but just barely and I'm not terribly confident in that yeah, I mean, at this point of the season, I don't think we're all confident about anything when it comes to this team. Yeah. <laughs> um, other than the fact that we're confident they're going to have a top five pick. Um, I, you know, I do think that this is probably going to be a a you know a close game. I do think that that three point spread is probably right about where it will land. But hey, man, I'm going to ride Mullins mania, and I'm going to say the Niners win, and I'm going to say they win by four, so they cover. Um, even though they probably will end up just winning by three and pushing. But w- while we're on the whole Mullins Mania thing, uh, just one plea to Niners fans everywhere. Uh, number one, come up with some original nicknames, please. Like, this is why we went with Mullins Mania, because I feel like that's kind of original. It makes sense. Like, it's an alliteration. Yay, we love it. But everyone who's out there saying, like, you know, Big Dick Nick, like, that, that's already been tried. It's already been done. That was Nick Foles, Super Bowl, chanted that in parade, like, let's let's be original, fans. Don't take the Eagles nickname just because it happens to have the same first name. Have a little self-respect. Come up with your own damn nicknames, and, and let's be better than that. 
I would I would agree, and and I think you know from some of the stories I was reading about the Philadelphia locker room, Nick Foles earned that nickname. If you understand what I'm saying, and and I'm not sure that Nick Mullins has yet, and I'm not asking for him to prove it, but I am saying that uh, there are, we do have standards around here, and you know, oh, they, man. the I, nicknames I do need to ex- match the performance. I was not expecting you to have just like deep knowledge about like you know other teams' penis size. <laughs> you know, you just. Man, we the talk the about context where you shine. We talk about context in terms of evaluation and, My you God. know, in terms of uh, setting the tone for leadership. I don't know what comes, you know, I don't know what comes uh, comes with any more pressure than that. Oh my goodness. All right. So uh, I haven't tweeted out any of the plays that we've talked about yet because uh, it's, well, it's election night and it's a, it's a short week for us too. So I'll probably tweet those out either today or tomorrow, but you can catch the game clips, including most of the plays that we've talked about on the show uh, on Twitter at Better Rivals. Um, and then once I do, uh, then, you know, that's where you'll have to find them. And if you're not on Twitter, um, then I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to help you because I'm old and I'm lazy. Uh, but Jared, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jared Brown underscore. That's J E R O D Brown underscore. Either retweeting your tweets, which is typically what I do, but uh, <laughs> and go. I go. Here's that. Here's that play he talked about. Um, but yeah, find find it there, and and uh, we'll highlight some of this this good stuff that we've seen. Absolutely, and then uh, I'll actually have some because it's kind of a weird week, right? Because we don't play until until uh, Monday, so there's a bit of a gap. Uh, but over the next couple of days, I- I'm going to probably post a bonus episode with PFF's George Shahuri, where we talk a little bit about the uh, kind of coaching, how you measure coaching success, uh, and whether or not you should care whether or not, or whether or not Kyle Shanahan's a good coach. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for some of that bonus content. But thanks again for tuning in. Enjoy the Win Wednesday. Hopefully you all have voted. And as always, go Niners. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Karis Fisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.